Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. You can be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. Proverbs, chapter 3. How many times have you prayed this prayer? Lord, show me what to do. Show me what to do. Oh, okay, boys and girls, I just realized. Boys and girls, yeah, they're moving anyway for uh, little coasters up through the second grade. Yeah. Kids, you have my permission if I forget just to stand up and start walking, all right? Adults, you have to stay. However, they would love for your help if you want to go help. Okay. Sorry about that, kids. How many times have we asked that question? God, show me what to do. Or asked that, made, prayed that prayer. God, I need to know, I need some guidance. We're going to look at this last in our series on lessons on assurance. We've talked about assurance of salvation, assurance of answered prayer, assurance of forgiveness of sin, assurance of victory over sin, and now assurance of guidance, God's guidance in our life. Two verses that happen to be my life verses in Proverbs chapter 3, maybe you relate to these verses also. There's a ring up here, guys. I'm not sure where it is. You working on it? Okay. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways and he will guide you on the right paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on or rely on your own understanding. In everything you do, all your ways, acknowledge him or think about him, and he will direct your paths or guide you on the right paths. We're going to break down the outline into those four key statements today. So the first one is this, trust in the Lord. If I am, as a, as a, walk, a, a follower of Christ, walking in obedience, if I am to have God's, God's guidance in my life, we have to understand the importance of this first truth. I need to trust in the Lord. The writer of Proverbs says, with all my heart. So that means everything. By the way, if you haven't trusted in the Lord with all your heart, that's the beginning place. That's where you have to start. The Bible says that when we, when we realize that we're a sinner and need a Savior, the commitment we need to make is to trust Him. And that means to place all of our faith in Him as our personal Lord and Savior. We trust Him. We, we say, Lord, I give you everything. I trust you. Let's look at what that means in the area of guidance. First of all, we can trust God to show us the way. We can trust God to show us the way. The psalmist said in Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and show you the way, this is the Lord speaking, with my eye on you, I will give you counsel. God says you can trust me to show you the way. I love what Alan Redpath says. He says there is nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that will ever touch me until, first of all, it has gone past God and past Christ right through to me. If it has come that far, it has come with a great purpose. I can trust God that he says in his word, I will guide you in the right paths. I will show you the way. So there's an element of trust there because he's my heavenly father, because he cares for me, because he created me, because he knows everything about me. Because of that, I can trust him. We've asked our kids, raising them up, they're adults now, all along, trust me, I'm your dad, I know what's best for you. 
or at least I think I do. At least I know more what's best for you than you do, right? You can say that to a four-year-old. Hopefully it's truth. They trusted me as their father because I had their best interests at heart. I wanted what's best for my kids, and that's why we're to trust God because he says, I will show you the way. It's because of this relationship we have with him. Secondly, we can trust God to give counsel, to give counsel. Psalm 32, 8 there, he says, I, I have my eye on you. I will give counsel. I will give you counsel. What does that mean? It means he will give guidance. You go to someone for counsel, you say, I want to know what you think I should do. Occasionally, I will ask somebody what I should do, and I know they're going to give me the wrong advice just so it kind of confirms I'm thinking the right way. But I'll go to people that I really want their counsel, and I trust them. I'm listening because they want what's best for me. I can trust God to do that. He's not going to steer me wrong. Here's what happens, though, as we think about the letter C there. Trusting God is going to require submission. Trusting God, the scripture says, requires submission. Well, we don't like that word. I've been in several um, premarital counseling situations where we get to the point of wives submit to your husband, and some of those gals don't like that. I've even had people in the marriage ceremony say, Pastor, could you not say that part? Could you not ask the wife to submit to the husband? I said, well, that's not my deal. That's God's deal, right? We don't like to submit. Then Paul says in other places in Ephesians 5 there, we're to submit to one another. We're to submit to each other. Submission's not something that comes easy for us. But it's going to require that we submit to him. Jesus is our perfect, perfect example of that. In John 6, 38, he said, For I come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Do you know that the Father had in his perfect plan for eternity to send the Son to die on the cross to pay the price for your sins? And the Son gave his life in willing obedience and submission to the Father. He's our perfect example. As the Son submits to the Father, so I submit to the will of God in my life. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable or pleasing to God. That's our spiritual act of worship. I am to present my body as a living sacrifice. You know what that says? I just submit myself to Christ. Somebody says, well, to go to heaven, all you have to do is believe. Well, yes, you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. You trust him completely, and you give him your life. Like we've said before, it's that, that blank sheet of paper that we sign, and then we hand it to the Lord, and he fills in the what's. You know, we have this, this mindset that, God, give me ahead of time what you require of me, and then maybe I'll sign it. No, God just says, here's a blank sheet of paper. You sign it. You just give me complete control of your life. That's what, that's what the, the Christian life is. Did you know that? It's not a fire escape to miss hell to go to heaven. It is, it is a life of laying down your life for Christ. Submission. Letter D, trusting God requires a renewed mind. The Bible says there in Romans 12, verse 2, as we talk about a renewed mind, do not be conformed to this age or this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you know what is that good and pleasing and perfect will of God. Trusting God requires a renewed mind, and the only way that mind's going to be renewed is to be in the word of God. That's where the renewal comes from. That's the, that's the, the way God works in our heart. Somebody told me this morning about they couldn't come to church today. They left word with somebody else because they didn't have anything clean and they didn't want to come to church dirty. And this guy said, man, I go to church dirty every week and I leave clean. I thought that's pretty good. It's the word of God that does the cleansing. It's the truth of God's word. If I'm to have a renewed mind, I have to be in the word of God. 
part of this guidance is God show me what to do and he says there right there is what to do we want a we want a uh, lightning bolt we want a clap of thunder we want we want it written in the clouds this is what you're supposed to do and God said I've given you guidance right there we're going to talk about that a little more in a minute a renewed mind that comes from the word of God but the good news is trusting in God's wisdom brings blessing letter e trusting in God's word and God's wisdom brings blessing. The man who trusts in the Lord, Jeremiah wrote, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed. Trust in the Lord. Verse, the first, verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart. When I do that, there's a promise from Scripture, from Jeremiah, that I will be blessed. I don't know about you, but I'm looking for that blessing. I'm looking for God to have his favor on my life. So number one, trust in the Lord. I love the story Larry Crabb tells when he was, uh, he's a, an author and counselor now, and he tells about when he was about three or four years old, he decided he was going to be a grown-up, and he went to the upstairs bathroom by himself and closed the door by himself and locked the door, and he just felt so big for that time he was in there like a grown-up, and it came time for him to leave, and he went to unlock the door, and he couldn't get the door unlocked, and so here's this three-year-old in panic, and he said he screamed so loud the neighbors probably heard it. And mom and dad came running up, what's wrong? And mom says, did you, did you fall down? Have you hit your head? What happened? He says, no, I can't get out. The door won't open. So mom can't get it open because he's locked it from the inside. And he's in there screaming and he's panicking that he's stuck in this prison, the upstairs bathroom for the rest of his life. Well, he didn't know this, but while mom's talking to him and he's crying and whining, dad went out, went in the garage, took the ladder off the hooks, went out to the side of the house, leaned the ladder up against the house, climbed up to the second floor bathroom window, and with all his strength, opened the window, and then stepped in, and the, well, the strength only a dad could have, he opened the door. And Larry says, I said, thanks, dad, and I ran out to play. And I love this application. He says, I thought that was the way the Christian life was. That I get in a mess, I get in a trap, I get in a bind, and I cry out to God, God, get me out of this mess. And God comes and gets me out of this mess, and I run out the door, and I go play, and I do my own thing again. And you'd say, oh, I'd never see that. That's the way many of us operate in the Christian life. Instead, this is what, what Larry says. I love this. He says, here's what God wants to do. He wants to find us in that bathroom with the door locked. And he wants to put his ladder up against the house and climb in that second floor window and sit down on the floor in the bathroom with us. And then instead of unlocking that door and letting us go out to play, he just sits down and says, come sit with me. I want to spend some time with you. Let's go through this together. See, more often than not, that's, that's where the trust comes in. It's not that God's going to open the door and let you free. We like to celebrate that, don't we? It's when God doesn't open the door and let you out. It's when he comes and he sits down with you and basically just says, let me sit with you a while for trust comes in number two we're looking at the passage again trust in the lord with all your heart do not rely on your own understanding do not rely on your own understanding i memorized this verse don't lean on your own understanding what does lean mean it means rely on so look at the the contrast here the first part of that verse don't he says trust in the lord don't trust in yourself that make sense? That's pretty simple. I even got that. Kevin, trust in me. Don't trust in yourself. A couple of no-brainers here, but I'm going to say them anyway. Our understanding is limited. Our understanding is limited. Did you know that? 
Listen to Jeremiah in verse chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. God is speaking to Jeremiah to let Jeremiah know that he's God and Jeremiah's not. I'm sorry, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55. Did I say Jeremiah 55? Anyway, Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For heaven is higher than earth, and my ways, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What a great picture. God says to Isaiah, your ways and your thoughts are not mine, Isaiah. And to give you this picture, heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. See, we may not say it, but we have this mindset that I have a a way of doing things And I can bring Jesus in on that, and I can bring God and his word in on that, and he'll improve my ways. You know, it's like, here's here's Kevin's ways of doing things, but you add God's word to it, and and it's going to be even better. We kind of live that way. Yes, the Christian life is is a challenge, but it's, it's better than not having Christ in your life. Well, God says it this way, here's where my ways are, and God's ways are as far as the heavens are from the earth. You see the difference? God's not just saying, Kevin, I can help you out a little bit. He's saying, I can transform your life. Not just, it'll be a little bit better when you trust me, but when you trust me, I've got things planned for you you cannot imagine. I read a quote a couple of weeks ago. See if I can remember it. Um, When I think about my plans for myself, God has already given me those plans, and it's far exceeding anything I could imagine. He's already done it for me. Beyond anything I could imagine. My understanding is limited. Secondly, relying on my own understanding is futile. It's futile. I read Jeremiah 17, verse 7, a couple of uh, verses back. And here in verse 17, verse 5, this is what the Lord says. The man who trusts in mankind, who makes human flesh his strength and turns his heart from the Lord, is cursed. Do you see it? Trust in the Lord, blessing. Trust in yourself, cursed. Pretty strong word, isn't it? I would say it this way. Trust in the Lord, blessed. Trust in yourself, messed. It's going to be messed up. It isn't going to be what you want. Don't rely on your own understanding. I am not wired that way, okay? I have this temperament that says there's a better way, and I think I know the better way. You know, there's the temperaments, and some people say, well, let's do it the easy way, do it my way, uh, do it the fun way. My temperament is, let's do it the right way. That's just the way I'm wired. By the way, it's okay. It's a gift from God. I've acknowledged that. I'm not weird. But my temperament is, I really think I have a right way of doing that. And I critique everything like crazy. God says, Kevin, that's futile. Give it up. Yeah, God, but... I really think, go ahead, Kevin, spit it out. And then I catch myself and I realize, God, you're God and I'm not. Well, that'll set you free. Follower of Christ, just get that one in your brain. People who have have a perfectionistic temperament, get that one. God's God and you're not. He doesn't need you. You need him. Our understanding is very limited. It's futile. Don't rely on it. John Cavanaugh 
writes about when he was at a place in his life where he's looking for clarity. And he prayed over and over again, God give me clarity. So he decided he would go to Calcutta, India and connect with the ministry of Mother Teresa there at the, where she was ministering to people who were dying. And there in the house of the dying, he goes to Mother Teresa and she says, what can I do for you? And he says, pray for me. She says, okay, what do you want me to pray for you? She said, he said, pray for clarity because I'm at that place in my life. And he acknowledged he prayed a thousand times in the United States before he got there. God, give me clarity. She said, I will not pray for you to have clarity. She says, clarity is the last thing that you're clinging to and you must let go of. So he was puzzled because he thought he was talking to a woman who had clarity in her calling in her life. And this is what she said. She said, I've never had clarity, but I've always had trust. So I will pray for you that you will trust God. There's a prayer. Sometimes we're looking for clarity when we think about trusting the Lord. And clarity is that my own understanding would make sense to me. And God says, give it up. You don't need clarity. You just need to trust me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. Number three, think about him in all your ways. Think about him in all your ways. Now there is a, all through this passage and others in the Proverbs and Psalms, you have the way and the path, the way and the path. Here's my understanding of it. Those words are very similar. Sometimes they're used interchangeably in scripture. But, but as I see the, the, the way, the way is the big picture. I, I am to, to say, God, I, I'm going to think about you in all my ways, my life, the, the whole of my life, the big picture. Not just what I need to do today or tomorrow or the next week or the next week, but God, the, the whole of my life, I'm going to give to you. And I'm going to say, Lord, I want to acknowledge you, think about you in all of my ways. Think about a, the big picture when you, when you think about the ways, uh, your ways. I've been reading through the Old Testament, and you go through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, those historical books, and you find King so-and-so walked in the ways of his father or didn't walk in the ways of his father, and that's just a repeated phrase over and over and over again in those historical books of the Bible. When it says Asa walked in the ways of his father or did not walk in the ways, or, or King Hezekiah did or didn't walk, saying the ways of his father or the ways he lived is his way of life. The, the whole picture of his life. So when I think about the big picture of my life, I need to think on him. First of all, letter A. When we do that, we will see the error of our ways. We see the error of our ways. Psalm 119.59. Listen to this. The psalmist says, I thought about my ways. I turned my steps back to your decrees. I hurried not hesitating to keep your commands. What, what the psalmist is saying is, I'm, I'm walking one way, and I think about my ways, my plan, my purpose, and I realize this is futile. And he says, I stopped, I turned toward God, and I began to walk toward him. I made haste, or I didn't hesitate, or I hurried to obey. You have to start with recognizing that your ways are not right. In Proverbs chapter 4, the writer of Proverbs says this in verse uh, 26. Carefully consider the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left and keep your feet away from evil. That big picture plan, I'm to consider it. 
not turn to the left or to the right. Recognize the error of my ways. Letter B, next thing I do is I just submit my ways to God's ways. Letter B, submit our ways to God. Listen to Psalm 25, verse 4. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. God, let me see the big picture to be on your agenda, your timetable, your plan, and teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth. Teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. Submitting my ways to God. Trusting him completely. So, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. It's another way of saying, my ways are not best. I'm going to let go and trust him. John Powell tells a story about raising his, or taking care of his elderly mother in her later years, and they lived in a two-story home, and he would carry her up the steps. And he said as he would carry his mom up the steps, get started up there, she would grab hold of the banister and hang on to it. And there they'd be stuck at the bottom, and she's clinging to it. And she, he says, Mom, let go. And she says, I'm afraid you're going to drop me. He says, I won't drop you. I've got you. She's just clinging to it. He says, Mom, you've got to let go. I, she said, I'm afraid. He says, okay, I'm going to drop you. And on three, one, two, three. And right before he gets, she'd let go. And he'd take a couple of steps, and she'd, he'd get up the stairs, and she'd grab onto the banister again. He said, Mom, what's wrong? He said, I'm just afraid I'm going to fall. So he'd go through that step over and over again, finally get his mom to the top of the steps. And there's, there's a picture of the way we walk and the way we trust God. We say, okay, God, I'm scared. I'm holding on. I'm afraid you're going to drop me. And God says, trust me. Trust me. And maybe he brings something into our life or he stirs us and we're willing to let go for a minute and he takes a few steps with us and then we grab hold again. In all my ways, thinking on him or acknowledging him means I'm just going to let go of the, of the rail. That's a scary place to be, isn't it? As many times as I've tripped coming up and down these steps, <laughs> I'm glad these are here. I think about every time I come out, I probably should be using the rail. But see, when you're walking in obedience, you don't need the rail. It's just a matter of saying, God, I'm, I'm trusting you completely. And if I do all these things, number four, I need to get back to Proverbs 3. The last part of verse 6, he will guide you on the right paths. He will guide you on the right paths. Sometimes this word is used of a well-walked, well well-trodden path. So when we, when we turn our ways, our whole, the whole of our life over to him, he's going to guide our daily walk with him, the path. Four things I want to say about that. First of all, God determines our steps. God determines our steps. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Job 31.4 says, does he not see my ways and number all my steps? He counts my steps. He knows exactly where my foot needs to go. You know how it is when you're training a, a little, little one to walk a little toddler? You just want to help him with that foot. Put one foot in front of the other. And it's so exciting to see when they finally let go of whatever it is and they walk. You don't know where their feet are going to land. They're just catching themselves every minute. God says, I'm going to count your steps. I'm going to know exactly how many steps you need to take to be where I want to take you. I love that. God determines our steps. So when I'm thinking about God's guidance, how's he going to guide me? He's going to use the circumstances of life to direct and determine my steps. 
Now, we talk a lot about God opening and closing doors, and I want to caution everyone that just because the door is open, that doesn't mean God opened the door. I think the enemy, Satan, can open a door. So be careful about just trusting and open and closed doors. Sometimes a closed door means God just wants you to seek him more. Sometimes God's saying, that's still the door, but you need to wait on me. So be careful about that. But God does use circumstances to direct us. He will sometimes put obstacles in our path. Sometimes he will nudge us. Sometimes it'll be a, a hard push, but he determines our steps with circumstances. Next way God directs us is he directs us by his word. He directs us by his word. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a, a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. I have a picture of, or a mental image of being on a hiking trail and it's dark and I've got my flashlight and I shine that flashlight down here to make sure there are no snakes right there. I'm always watching for snakes. I hate them. I don't know. I just can't stand them. Say, Pastor, that snake is not poisonous. I don't care. I'm looking for snakes. So that's, that's every step. But I shine the light down, way down there, so I can make sure down the road I'm doing okay. You know how that is? You, you, you want step by step, a, a lamp into my feet, but a light to my path. That's what God's word is. There is the instruction we need. Somebody said, well, there's so much to the Bible I don't understand. Me too. How about just applying the little bits you do understand? That'll revolutionize the world. That, that would change this church and it would change this community. If you just started applying the little bit you do understand, God's going to direct through his word. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Your outline says 1 Timothy. It's supposed to be 2 Timothy. Chapter 3, verse 16. We looked at this recently. All scripture is inspired by God. That means it's God-breathed. That means it's inerrant without error, is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word is profitable for teaching. That's the way I should walk. For reproving or rebuking, that's when I get off track, it puts me back on. For correcting, that's how to get back on the path. Training in righteousness, that's how to walk. Let God's word be your guide. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the circumstances of my life I'm going to filter them through what God's word teaches me. And then number three, I'm going to rely on his Holy Spirit. God directs us by his spirit. Now again, you can't just say the spirit told me to apart from the word of God. God's Holy Spirit speaks to your heart in your prayer life, in your time with him as you read the word. The Bible says God gave us his spirit that we may understand what God has freely given us. So don't just trust in goosebumps and feelings and open and close doors and circumstances. Don't take a verse out of context, but take all of that together to help discern the will of God. By the way, Henry Blackaby adds another one in his study, and, and, and in addition to circumstances and the Holy Spirit through the Bible and prayer, he adds other believers will also give you guidance. I think that's a good, good one to add there too. So God's gonna guide me on right paths by circumstances, determining my steps, by direction through his word, and by his Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. And there's something that's so cool, it's the last point here, that I don't understand, but I like it. Well, I do understand it a little bit. Psalm 37, 4 and 5 says this. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Think about that one. Letter D is this, God gives us our heart's desires. The mystery that I don't understand is that the God, the sovereign God of the universe would say, Kevin, I'm going to give you what you want. 
Now you take that out of context and you can make a mess of that. What it says is if I delight myself in the Lord, he will give me my heart's desire. If I commit my way to him, if I trust in him, he's going to act that way. He's going to act toward me in love and in, in, in his purpose and plan. See, here's what happens. As I walk with the Lord, my heart changes. My desires change. Kelly's dad used to tell the story, my pastor, about the, the cowboy that uh, got saved and the way the town knew is he, he'd hitch his horse to a different hitching post. Used to be over there at the saloon, now it's over there at the church. That was just a mental image. Change. Heart, a changed heart. When I first became a Christian as an 18-year-old young man, I tell you what, my desires were not God's desires. This verse wasn't fulfilled in my life until I began to walk in obedience and saw suddenly the things that I want are the things that he wants, and the things that he wants become what I want. Kelly and I have been married 32 years now. Wow. And, and yeah, clap for me. Really, we should clap for her because she's lived with me. But you know what? When we first got married, we, we were different. We're still very different. Very different. But our desires were different. Definitely when I got saved, my desires were different than hers. But the more time we spend together, the more our hearts are, are just melded together. And we're, we're, we become one. And year by year goes by and she can complete my thoughts and I can sort of complete hers. Occasionally I say, who are you and what did you do with my wife? But that's just, she keeps me guessing. But in the general scheme of things, because I'm in relationship with her, day after day, year after year, our desires are very similar. When we have a free day to do, we want to do stuff together. We have the same, it's not like I want to go do this and that. We're just together. It's the way it's supposed to be in your walk with God. See, because here's what happens. His desires become your desires. And so you think they're your desires, but they're because your heart's been transformed. Walking in obedience. Tell you what, when I was a brand new believer, pastoring this church was not on my radar. Being a pastor was not on my radar. But as God started working in my heart, you know what I wanted more than anything in the world? To be a pastor. Now, what happened? Exactly what we're talking about today. You seek Him, He guides your steps, He guides you in His right paths. So let's look at it one last time. You want God's guidance in your life? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways, and he will guide you on the right paths. Chuck Swindoll tells the story of a Christian leader who related this story to him, who felt called to leave the United States and go to Uganda and, and do some mission work to establish a a work there for the navigators. So he uprooted his family. They flew to Africa, landed in Kenya. He got his family settled in, and he uh, rented a, an SUV, a Jeep, and went across into Uganda and started looking at the territory and the lay of the land, and he said it was very scary. It was very hostile. There were young men on the street shooting guns and pointing automatic weapons at him, and he was praying, okay, God, did I get this right? Because I thought you called my family here, and I'm about to bring them into this country. And he looked at the lay of the land, and finally the sun went down, it got dark, so he went to this dimly lit motel and walked inside and had trouble communicating with the clerk who didn't speak much English, but did finally find out, the guy, he communicated, I need a place to sleep tonight. 
And the man said, we have one bed in the whole hotel left, and gave him the key. And he went upstairs and uh, found his way, opened the door to this room, this little bitty musty room, and there's two beds in the room. And one of them's unmade, and he thinks, oh no, I'm sharing the room with someone. So he's thinking again, God, did I get this right? This sure isn't my plan. I'm nervous, I'm anxious, I'm fearful, but God, just let me know. So he gets down on his knees next to that one bed that's unmade, and he begins to pray, God, you just need to reaffirm in my heart that I'm doing the right thing. About that time, there's a ruckus, and the door swings open, and there's this tall, black African man with a frown on his face, and he says, what are you doing in my room? That'll bless your prayer life, won't it? He's still on his knees, and he's praying, okay, God, help. He says to the man, they told me this is where my, there was only one bed left, and this is it, and I'm in here to sleep tonight. He says, what are you doing in my country? Oh, man. So he kind of timidly explains, well, I'm, I'm from America, and I'm, I'm here with a Christian organization called the Navigators, and the man's frown turns to a smile. He says, Navigators? From Colorado Springs, Colorado? And the the guy says, yes. He pulls out a little card, and he had a scripture memory pack. And at the bottom of the Navigators pack, it says, Navigators, Colorado Springs, Colorado. He said, "I, I was given this. I've been memorizing the word. He said, I've been praying that God would send me someone from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Yeah, that's the way God works. That's the way he works. But here's the tough part. When you're working your way through whatever it is, and people are pointing guns at you, and you find out that the room you wanted wasn't what you expected, and the big mean man is not what you expected, and all all in the midst of all that stuff, you don't know that God's answering your prayer. When you're stuck in the bathroom on the second floor as a three-year-old and you're screaming, get me out of this prison, you don't know what God's orchestrating. You don't know how God's about to come in and sit with you in the midst of it. That's where the first part of verse 5 is so important. Trust in the Lord. Can we do that?